December of last year, 2023, USA Today ran an article with this title. Take a look at this. Chronic fatigue affects far more Americans than previously thought. Now, earlier, as we were getting ready for the service to start, one of the ladies that saw this said, boy, that's talking about me. It's talking about a lot of people. It really is. Look at how their article gets started. More than 3 million Americans suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome, an illness that has often been overlooked by health providers, according to a recent federal estimate. Now, they go on to make some pretty remarkable claims like these. The causes of the illness are also unclear, making it difficult for medical professionals to diagnose. The illness is characterized by serious fatigue that lasts more than six months and manifests itself during routine activities like work, school, or socializing. The disease typically shows up in the form of a person crashing after physical, mental, or emotional activity that would not have triggered the reaction previously. When people with chronic fatigue try to rest or get a full night's sleep, they typically don't feel better. They just feel tired. As with other chronic illnesses, people with chronic fatigue syndrome often experience depression, stress, and anxiety. Now, I have spent a good amount of time with people that wrestle with chronic fatigue syndrome, so this wasn't surprising to me at all, but it was a little bit discouraging. Even though I am familiar with the syndrome, it is still discouraging, particularly their summarization of it reads just like this. There is no known cure for chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, I might take issue with that last statement, but that's for another discussion. There is no known cure for chronic fatigue syndrome. Well, after reading that article, I got to playing around with the whole idea of it just a bit and came to the conclusion that spiritually, there is a syndrome that sounds just like this. I would title it this way. Chronic spiritual fatigue affects far more Christians than previously thought. There is a chronic spiritual fatigue as well. So if that's the title that I come up with, I, I started writing my own article, just kind of messing with the one that USA Today had put out. Here's what I wrote. An unknown number of Christians worldwide suffer from chronic spiritual fatigue syndrome. According to recent findings, this syndrome has been overlooked by ministers and leaders for years. CSFS is characterized by serious fatigue that lasts more than six months and manifests itself during routine activities like work, school, or socializing. The syndrome typically shows up in the form of a person crashing after physical, mental, or emotional activity that should not have triggered the reaction. When people with CSFS try to rest or get a full night's sleep, they typically don't feel better. They feel just as tired. Common complaints are often characterized by depression, stress, and anxiety. The good news is the cause is clear and easy to diagnose. Even better, there is a cure. There is a cure. Chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic spiritual fatigue syndrome runs rampant through our society, through our culture, and even through our churches. But the good news is, 
It's easy to diagnose, and there is a cure. Today, the message has a a title that can sound much like a cure, if you'll allow it to. This is the title of the message, Why the Holy Spirit Matters. He is the cure for chronic spiritual fatigue syndrome. That's why he matters. For some of you, that's all you need to hear today. But for some of the rest of you, you'd like a little bit more. Luckily, I got a little bit more for you. So we're just going to jump right into this. For the longest time, I have operated believing that there are really three types of people in the world. In fact, this belief has pretty well governed my years in professional ministry. The three types of people that I would say exist around us at any given time can be characterized this way. There's the saved, the unsaved, and the seeking. And like I say, better part of 30 some odd years, that's how I have approached everybody. But recently, I have started thinking that there is a fourth category of people. It isn't just these three. There is a fourth category. It might look like this. The natural person, the spiritual person, then the seeker, and then here's that fourth person, the 50-50 mix, or what we might refer to as the carnal Christian or the baby Christian. Now let me show you why I'm exploring that these days. Join me in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 6. There's a lot of you opening your Bibles right now, love to hear that, and I want to give you enough time to get to this passage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. The Apostle Paul is the author of these words. Listen close to what he says. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now I want you to really pay attention, starting in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Going on into chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See why those four categories seem to resonate? Chelsea, let's go back to that slide. You have the natural person. Paul lays that out. That's the person who is not walking with God at all. That's the person that has no interest whatsoever in the things of God. The flesh is the only thing that matters. Then you have the spiritual person. That's the person, this isn't hard to imagine, that is walking with the Lord, has a relationship with God, a growing, sanctifying relationship with God. And then I would plug in that seeker person, the person that is natural but wondering about the things of the Lord, that person that is seeking out truth about Jesus Christ. They're looking for a relationship. And then there's this fourth person. Paul really talks about this individual in chapter 3. This one is unique. It's the 50-50 mix. Look again here. Chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Obviously, when Paul uses the word brothers, he is referring to people that are Christian. But then he goes on to talk about them getting pure spiritual milk from him, the foundation that they need to start growing in their walk with the Lord, but they're doing nothing with it. They're doing nothing with it. So they have one foot in the natural world and one foot in the spiritual world. We could call them carnal Christians, but better that we call them babes in Christ. Babies, infants that are not growing up. They're choosing to stay right where they're at. Now let's put a pin in that idea for just a second. I want you to understand how a person receives the title spiritual, just so you can really process it in your mind. There are a couple of ways. We get the title spiritual this way, or these ways, positionally and practically. Positionally, Every person that becomes a Christian is spiritual. You have the Lord living in your heart. You have surrendered to Jesus in his lordship and his saving grace. So positionally, you are a Christian. You are spiritual. But practically, it takes on a different look. Every Christian is positioned in Christ but not every Christian is growing in their relationship with him. That's the practical side of it. There are people that are secure in their eternal destination, secure in their relationship with God, that will forever remain infants, never growing up. Practically, they're going to stay right where they're at. And what's missing in their life is an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Sadly enough, for a number of those folks, there will be a time where a Christian fatigue syndrome sets in. And they start wrestling with how they're ever going to change, how anything is ever going to be different in their life, how they will ever grow up. Spiritual exhaustion comes to rest on them. And there are practical reasons for that. 
laid out in places like this in the, the book of James, if you want to turn there, James chapter 1, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, right there, James is talking about the person who is positioned in Christ and is practically growing in Christ. The Holy Spirit is guiding his steps or her steps. And they are growing deeper and deeper in their understanding of who God is. They are growing deeper and deeper in their relationship with him all the time, all the time. But then there's this other person, verse 24. For he who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, that's this carnal Christian. The person who looks at the Holy Spirit, sees what he's supposed to do or she's supposed to do, and then just turns and goes the other way, forgetting about it, forgetting about it. No practical application of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. That's this individual. Now, the Holy Spirit, like so many other things in our lives, when we start learning about him, we have to apply what we learn. We have to apply what we discover. If we don't apply it, we will quickly forget about it, this information that we're getting which sadly enough puts us in a place where we will quickly forget about the Holy Spirit. Here's a way of summarizing that. <coughs> a person who does not use information will lose it. Spiritual truth is no exception. That is no exception. So if you hear about the work of the Holy Spirit and you do nothing with that information, it's just going to drift away. And then you're going to find yourself falling into these patterns of exhaustion, even spiritual exhaustion, to the point of fatigue. You're not sure you're even going to make it, not sure you can even get out of bed. That's the problem. So this morning, I want us to explore some truths about the Holy Spirit that can help us battle against that that can keep us away from that edge of chronic spiritual fatigue so that we are always practically growing in our knowledge and experience with the Holy Spirit so that positionally we are always stronger. Does that make sense? You're with me? You know where we're going? All right, let's do that. In order to do it, we've got to take a look at some scripture so that we can correct some mistruths. Beginning right here. When you become a Christian, when a person gives their life to the Lord, you are filled with the Spirit. Completely filled with the Spirit. Now there is never a command in Scripture to be baptized in the Spirit. There is never a teaching in Scripture that says we need to ask to be indwelt with the Spirit because you already have been. The Holy Spirit is already in your life. So we go to places like Ephesians to see that. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 
We're going to look at verses 15 through 21, just a short little passage, but there's a ton in it. Verse 15. Again, the Apostle Paul's the author. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Listen, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Back in verse 18, we read, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that sounds like it is this request that today I could be filled with the Spirit because tomorrow I might not be. But that is a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit. Operate within the Spirit. Operate allowing the Holy Spirit to govern and guide what you're doing. Keeps you away from that edge of chronic spiritual fatigue syndrome. It keeps you from getting exhausted in your walk with the Lord. Just by understanding that, we can move past some of these elementary things that happen to people in their faith. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, and I'm going to act like it. I'm going to act like it. Now, here's the thing on this idea of filling or being filled with the Spirit. It is like having a full tank of gas in your car. You go out into the driveway because you have somewhere to go, stick the key in the ignition, turn the car on, look at the gas gauge. It says that the tank is full, but you never put the car into reverse or drive, and you never push the gas. You have a place that you want to go. You have a full tank of fuel, but you never push the gas. For a lot of people, that's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. They never push the gas. They never, listen, they never push the gas. And as a result of that, they never go anywhere. They never experience anything with the Holy Spirit. Even though they have been filled, the tank is full, they never push the gas. So you sit right there trying to do things on your own trying to make your way deeper into a relationship with Christ on your own steam and on your own power. Interestingly, the Bible has a term for that. We see it in different passages of Scripture like this. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 from the New Century Version. Use that version because it illustrates it so perfectly. You began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now you're trying to make it complete by your own power. That is foolish. That is foolish, the Bible says. Now, take a close look at that last word. That is foolish. In the original language, that word foolish comes from a unique Greek word. This is it, morose. From the word morose, we get our English word moronic. Moronic. You got to love the Apostle Paul. He always has a little kicker in some of his teaching. And that's a little kicker right there. That's Paul saying, let me tell you what this really is. 
Foolish doesn't capture it. For you to try to do it on your own is moronic. It's absurd. It's stupid. That's what Paul's saying, and he really isn't mincing words. We tend to soften it a little bit in the English language, but in the Greek, Paul's just laying it out there. This is moronic. Now, you might remember, as we were reading back in 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not understand the things of God. To them, the things of the Lord, the things of the Spirit, are just foolishness. It's moronic. Take a look again. This is from 1 Corinthians 2. We just read this a few minutes ago, also from the New Century Version. A person who does not have the Spirit does not accept the truths that come from the Spirit of God. That person thinks they are foolish, moronic, absurd, stupid, and cannot understand them because they can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. But the opposite is true for the spiritual person. The things of the Holy Spirit, they're anything but that. They're rich, they're rewarding. They're our path into understanding the deep things of God. The things of the Spirit are our path into growth and into a a relationship with God that energizes us all the time. Doesn't leave us fatigued and exhausted, but energizes us all the time the time. And that's the way our walk with the Spirit is supposed to be. We have to choose to push past our own choice for ignorance of the Spirit in order to experience that. So I want to show you some scripture that can help with it. I want us to get into some places in our Bible that will actually help us accomplish this. We've already read it. We're back in Ephesians chapter 5. Why don't you go there again? Ephesians 5, we'll start once again in verse 15. I love how this section starts. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, if you'll allow me just a a little bit of paraphrasing, I could say it this way. Look carefully then how you walk, not morose, but wise, not moronic, but wise. That's the Apostle Paul kicker in there. Open your eyes, pay attention. Verse 16, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, (coughs) for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verse 18, Paul says this, be filled with the Spirit. Now in my Bible and probably in yours, there's a comma After that, I put an exclamation point behind it. That's from me. I'm the one who did that editing. It's not in your Bible. I put that exclamation point in because that simple little phrase reads like a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's like Paul's way of saying, push the gas. Push the gas. 
so that you can actually experience the things that you need to with the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, preacher, that all makes sense, and I don't want to live in a morose way. I don't want to be foolish about these things. So how does it all begin? How can I start in this? If a walk with the Holy Spirit really matters, where does it start? Man, I am so happy you asked. Charles Swindoll has a beautiful way of capturing the answer to that question. Take a look. I cannot be filled with the Spirit while I have known an unconfessed sin present within me. I cannot be filled with the Spirit while at the same time conducting my life in the energy of the flesh. I cannot be filled with the Spirit while I am walking against God's will and depending upon myself. I need to be sure I have taken care of the sins that have emerged in my life, that I have not ignored the wrong that I have done before God and to others. I need to walk in dependence on the Lord on a daily basis. So the answer to the question, where does it begin? It begins by asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any sins that exist, any rebellion that exists in your life that stand between you and him. And when you ask that type of a, a request of the Holy Spirit, he is quick, fast to respond, to reveal it to us. Now, you may have to precede that request with something that sounds like this. Lord, would you make my heart open to receive what you're about to share with me? Would you make my mind open and my will open to hear this? Because before you can push the gas you got to get the key into the ignition and get everything turned on. That means you got to get some sin out of your life. And part of the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins, to search us out and reveal those things to us so that we can bring them back to the cross and we can ask Jesus to take care of them. And here's the thing about Jesus and that request. He will always do it. He will always do it. That's one of Jesus' favorite things in the world to do is to forgive sin and to grab us by the hand and walk us past it. So before you can get into the deep things of the Holy Spirit, you have to start with the elemental things of the Spirit, asking him to reveal sin in your life. And then after that point, you're going to begin to see some of the work of the Spirit in your life. It's transforming and Paul laid it out for us. At least four things that I can see in the passage that we just read. In just those few short verses, we can see at least four things. Now, before we get into them, let me just correct this idea. For a lot of people with the Holy Spirit, they believe the only work that he does is huge, miraculous works. And true enough, at times, the Holy Spirit is doing huge, miraculous things. I've seen them. I've experienced it. I know a lot of you have as well. But you need to know that the Spirit is at work on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you are living only for the huge, miraculous demonstrations of the Spirit's work, you're going to get spiritually exhausted. You're going to get fatigued. And you're going to start shoving a round peg into a square hole looking for the Holy Spirit in every situation. 
You don't have to look for the huge miraculous things, but rather shrink your vision so that you can see the day-to-day work of the Spirit, and that chronic spiritual fatigue syndrome will begin to fall away because you'll see things like these four that are found in Ephesians 5. He will change your speech, verse 18. He'll bring joy to your heart, verse 19. He'll make you thankful even for the little things, verse 20. And he will change your relationships, verse 21. Now, you don't have to accept that as my word. Get back into that passage that we just looked at, verses 18 through 21. You'll see all four of them. They're there. If you need to jump some translations to make that really practical so that you can see it, do it. Get into the translations that will call those things out for you. If the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Version or the King James Version or whatever version you're reading makes it hard for you to understand and accept that, then get into some translations that make them pop and come off the page. But they're there. Those four things are there. The Holy Spirit changes our speech. We begin to talk about the things of God. Some of the other things just don't matter anymore. He'll bring joy to our hearts. And all of a sudden, we'll find a a song, a, a psalm, and a hymn living in our heart as we're praising God for the things that he's doing all the time within us and around us. He'll make us thankful even for the little things. You want to talk about an attitude changer? You want to talk about an antidote to chronic fatigue? Gratefulness is one of the antidotes when we can start looking at the small things in our life and appreciating what God is doing, they stack up to become big things. And they push chronic spiritual fatigue syndrome back. And let me just say this, at the risk of offending anybody, they push back chronic fatigue syndrome. A heart of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness is the first place to begin in shoving those things back. And there's other things that come right behind it But that's the first place to begin. This is my favorite one. He changes our relationships. Submitting to one another in love. He changes our relationships. That's why the Holy Spirit matters so much. Because on a day-to-day basis, when we push the gas, things like this happen. But if you're sitting in the car, holding on to the steering wheel, rocking yourself back and forth, trying to make all this happen on your own steam, you're not going to get very far. But let the Holy Spirit come in and you push the gas, you'll start to see things like this happen. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Interestingly enough, and, and I'll close with this, there's actually a title for this type of teaching. It's a fun one. You can say it with me. Here it is. Well, we'll go on. Next slide. It is called a continuous collective command. Isn't that fun? Let's say it together. It is a continuous collective command. I only heard like three people saying it, so let's try again. It's a continuous collective command. And here's what that means. This idea of be filled with the Spirit, that's the slide that we just saw up there. This idea of be filled with the Spirit is continuous in us. It is a daily process. It's always there. If you didn't do very well today, God's mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow's a new day. It's continuous. 
The Holy Spirit is there tomorrow too. It's continuous. It is continuous. You have been filled with the Spirit at the moment you became a Christian. Just push the gas. Use him. He wants to be used. And it is collective because the Spirit is a promise to every believer. And my friends, this idea of be filled with the Spirit, Chelsea, let's put that back up. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's a command. A continuous, collective command for every one of us. For every one of us. If the Apostle Paul had been born in Texas and he had a good southern twang about him, this is the way that command would sound. All y'all command. That's an all y'all command. Now, I learned how to talk living in Oklahoma, so I've got some y'all in me, and it can come out. If I hang out around people with a southern accent, my southern accent from when I was just a, a little boy, can, it can flare back up. So I've got some y'all in me. So this is the way that would sound. Y'all be filled with the Spirit. All y'all be filled with the Spirit. That's the Texas version of the command. Because it matters. He matters. Fall in love with the Spirit. All y'all fall in love with the Spirit. So that you're no longer exhausted and worn out in your walk with Christ. You're thriving, longing for more and more and more every day, every day. It's a continuous, collective command. Make sense? Push the gas. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray together. Father in heaven, <coughs> the apostles were worried about what life was going to be like after you ascended into heaven. That's a legitimate worry. No judgment. And I'm so grateful that you taught them the way you did, that you weren't going to leave them alone. Or as the Gospel of John says, you, you told them, I won't leave you as orphans but rather you are sending the Spirit. And Lord, you've done the same for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. I pray that we will learn to love him the way we love you, the way we love your Son. Help us love your Spirit. And Lord, help us push the gas so we can rely on him and lean into him be moved by him deeper and deeper into our walk with you. I pray that will be the case. In Jesus' name, amen.